Hi there, I'm Jesse. And I'm Lucas. And this is Double Blind. Much of science journalism today has been reduced to brief stories, light on the details, hiding behind an overhyped headline. Our goal with this podcast is to change that, to report on breaking science-related news stories in a responsible way. That means going into the actual methods behind each study and then having a realistic discussion about the present and potential future impacts of each one. So if you're curious, come with us. We think it'll be a lot of fun. This week on Double Blind, a pinch of salt on Mars, a case for liquid water on the red planet. And sounds like cancer, using sound waves to detect tumors. All right, well, uh, Lucas, why don't you start us off today? Thanks, Jesse. Uh, To start off the episode today, I've got an update on a long-standing question, a question that's been standing for centuries, in fact. Is there liquid water on Mars? Now, we know there's water in the form of ice on the uh, North Martian pole, and there's extensive evidence for liquid water existing in the past on Mars. This includes uh, physical stream channels that you can see on the surface of Mars using a telescope, And it also includes chemical signatures preserved in rocks that we've been able to detect since we've sent rovers to Mars. However, we still don't know if there is currently liquid water in any form on the red planet. Right. So recently, there have been a lot of striking headlines regarding this. Headlines like, NASA's Curiosity Reveals Evidence of Liquid Water on Mars, Salty Water May Moisten Martian Soil at Night, and my personal favorite headline, tiny and briny, small amounts (laughs) of liquid water still on Mars. So there's uh, new results from the NASA Curiosity rover, and that's what I'd like to discuss today. Okay, cool. I mean, there's there's been a lot of headlines about water on Mars, I feel like, for the past couple years now. So yeah, what's different about this? Well, I've got a problem with a few of these headlines. I've got a problem with the headlines that say there's revealed evidence of liquid water on Mars. The study itself describes their discovery as indirect evidence of transient liquid water. Okay. So they haven't actually observed liquid water here, but they've observed the possibility <laughs> of a mechanism for liquid water. Okay. So what actually happened? This whole concept revolves around these things called perchlorate salts. So big word there, but perchlorate just means a chlorine atom, which is surrounded by four oxygens. Okay. Right? And it can form a salt like any other. But this salt has two special properties that are key here. Number one, it can absorb water vapor from the atmosphere. So it can actually draw water from a gaseous to a liquid form. And it can also lower the freezing point of water. So this is just like sprinkling salt on a sidewalk in the winter. Okay, interesting. So this mechanism relies on these salts drawing up water from the atmosphere and then maintaining it as a liquid salty brine, which would, uh, which would stay liquid when otherwise pure water could freeze. Now, the discovery of these salts isn't new. Curiosity has observed them before, and in fact, they were first found by the Phoenix Lander, uh, which was on Mars way back in 2008. Wow. And the interesting thing is neither is the idea that they can create these briny solutions. That dates back to the 1960s. Oh, Wow. So the only thing that's actually new here is that a team of scientists has analyzed the humidity and temperature values from the Curiosity rover. Is that because we have instruments on Curiosity that we didn't have on the other ones? Exactly. We've got a longer, more continuous record 
of atmospheric conditions. And it's also a record in an area of Mars we weren't previously at. Curiosity oh, very is very cool. close to the equator of Mars. Uh, and I'll, I'll get into why that matters in just a sec. <laughs> okay, sounds good. So they analyzed this data and they found that at night during winter, conditions were just right for these salty brines to form in about the top five centimeters of the Martian soil. However, they'd also evaporate at sunrise. So that's what they mean by transient liquid water. This is liquid water that might form every night, sort of just in the top layer, irrigate the, the very uppermost soil, <laughs> yeah. and then go away in the morning. Kind of like kind of like dew that you see on the morning grass. Weird. Salt dew. Salt dew. I don't know. Almost. <laughs> um, so the question you're probably asking is, what does this mean for life on Mars? Right. That's always because what it comes if we, back to. It, it's always what it comes back to, because if we find liquid water, we're one step closer to having another ingredient for life. Right. Now, the researchers couldn't come up with any known life forms that could live in these conditions, right? These are very harsh conditions. It's salty, it's cold, and the water's only there for the nighttime during part of the year. Right. However, we all know that microbes live in all manner of extreme environments here on Earth. Right, those are like extremophiles, right? Extremophiles, exactly. So, if these extremophiles were given the chance to evolve in this sort of environment, it's not impossible that they could live in these sort of conditions. Okay. It would be very challenging, but not impossible. So, so the, current, the chance of life on Mars currently is not impossible. Exactly. I would, I would think that's a very accurate description of the chance of life on Mars. All right. Uh, the really cool thing about this is, as you mentioned earlier, Curiosity is near the equator. And other regions on Mars will have higher humidity and lower temperature, which are both favorable for this process. So this could actually be a planetary-wide thing that happens. Oh, interesting. It could be that all over Mars you get this sort of uh, irrigation of the topsoil at night. So is it possible that other areas of Mars have better temperature and like chemical conditions to support life? Uh, yes, absolutely. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Another interesting note, which I kind of found kind of funny in the story, is that these brines are very corrosive. And the authors noted that it should be taken into account for future spacecraft design going to Mars. Because if you've got your uh, spacecraft legs in the top bit of the soil, and every night you've got this corrosive acidic brine forming around your spacecraft legs, that could be a real issue. Huh, that's really interesting. That's good to know then. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty much the story. Uh, the the take-home message here is to remember that they did not actually observe this process happening. They only found humidity and temperature values which were in a range that could theoretically allow it to happen. Okay. But we've never actually observed this. So is it something that we can observe with curiosity? Not with the current instrumentation, it sounds like. So that's, that's something for a, a future mission. That's something for a future mission. Yeah. Cool. Hopefully a manned one, maybe. Exactly. You never know. Mars One. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if that ever gets off the ground. Yeah, I don't know what the odds of that are, but... I, I think not impossible. <laughs> All right. That's good. That's a really cool story. It, it was cool. I Like, it got so much media attention for something that is not new. <laughs> it, it, it certainly it says... In, yeah, it certainly says something about... Um, the areas that people are most interested in right now. It's cool that people are exactly. really interested in Mars, but it means that... 100%. Any, yeah, any tiny yeah. little discovery or even in, in this case, like, oh, this could be happening, gets people really excited. And we knew it could be happening before. Right. We just looked at some new temperature data. <laughs> well, hey, I don't know. In, in my mind, anything to get us closer to being able to actually fund a manned mission. I, I would love that so much. I agree 100%. Okay, well, uh, let's move on to the next story.
Up next, we have a health story. Um, this is about cancer research. It's a bit of a breakthrough, actually. So there are new uh, advancements in cancer treatment coming out every day. We're always seeing new drugs being tested, new methods of, um, of treatment being researched all the time. Mm-hmm. We're getting better and better at actually treating cancer. However, one of the big issues around cancer treatment is still that catching it early is often way more important than treating it well. Right. That's the key. You want to catch it before it's grown or spread. Yeah, exactly. And very frequently by the time people are actually um, exhibiting physical symptoms, Mm -hmm. uh, it can be very far progressed and far more difficult to treat. So currently, if you have a tumor that your doctor suspects is cancerous, the Mm go-to method to determine that is to get a biopsy. Right. And so that's where a small piece of the tumor is actually surgically removed. Right. So very invasive and... Yeah, it's invasive and it's painful. It's it's not fun and it requires like a separate appointment. Um, It's it's an entire procedure. You have to go in for a biopsy. Right. One big dream of many oncologists is the ability to test for cancer with a routine blood test. Okay. Because that's something you can just go into a clinic almost anywhere and quickly get a blood test. We've all done it. You know, you go go to the doctor. Oh, you might have this. Okay, go get a blood test. It takes five minutes. It's really quick and easy. Yeah. So there's a group of scientists at Carnegie Mellon and Penn State University who have mm-hmm. been working on a way to make that a possibility. Okay. The idea of just going into a clinic, getting a blood test, and from that being able to determine whether or not you have cancer. Whether you have cancer anywhere in your body. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And as it turns out, the method that they've developed to do this actually uses sound waves to detect the tumor cells. Really? Yeah. Huh. How does that work? So when a tumor begins to form, cancerous or otherwise, some cells from it will often eventually shed into the bloodstream and will start circulating around your body. Okay. These are called CTCs, or circulating tumor cells. Oh. And they can be either cancerous or benign, depending on the tumor that they came from. Okay. Um, A lot of us have many benign tumors in our body at any given time. Mm -hmm. And so we have a lot of these CTCs going through our body. Having CTCs, these tumor cells circulating through your bloodstream, does not necessarily mean that that cancer has metastasized. Uh, Metastasis is when the cancer actually moves from one area of the body to another. Right. These CTCs are not growing tumors themselves, but they can be seeds for tumors, which lead to um, that cancer becoming metastatic. Whoa, so like a tumor can spread through my bloodstream from one part of my body to another? Exactly. That's when you hear that a cancer is metastasized. And that's usually really bad news because it means that you've got... Um, you know, say a stomach cancer tumor that's growing in a number of other areas of your body. It becomes a lot more difficult to treat. I had no idea that's how it spread. Yeah. Um, Wow. It's one of the ways. Uh, It can spread through lymph and other fluids as well. Okay. So there are a lot of these CTCs, these cells circulating around. Mm -hmm. However, there are a hell of a lot of cells in your bloodstream. Yeah. So even though they're, these are plentiful, they're pretty hard to spot. Okay. Um, because they're few relative to the number of cells you've actually got going around in your body. But there's enough in my body that if you took a blood sample, you'd be sure to get some. Well, here's the thing. Not, you'd be sure to get some, but not by looking at them. You wouldn't be able to tell by looking at them because there are so few of them in the, the standard uh, five mil sample of blood. Right. Okay. So if we can't look at them, how can we find these? Yeah. Previous methods of trying to spot these involve marking them with antibodies or using strong mechanical forces. <laughs> strong mechanical forces? Yeah. What does that mean? I.e. spinning them around really fast. Um, oh, putting, centrifuges. Yeah, and centrifuges, like that. putting yeah. them through other systems to try and basically shake the CTCs away from the other cells. Okay. Um, however, 
Using antibodies or chemical tags can damage cells, as can using mechanical force, like a centrifuge. And then you end up with a bunch of broken cells, and you're no further ahead than when you started, because you can't actually tell the difference at that point. Ah, gotcha. So this new method uses sound waves instead. Okay. I thought that was a pretty pretty cool headline, the idea that we can use sound to detect cancer. It's awesome. How do we do it? Well, turns out it's been tried before, but the last time it was tested, it was too slow for clinical usage. The way it works is the researchers first remove the red blood cells from a sample using a much more gentle centrifuge. Okay. And then they put the remaining sample inside this little dime-sized chip that they developed. Okay. So sound waves then are angled across these little channels that the, the cells flow through on the chip. Mm-hmm. And because of the type of sound that's being used, it creates these pressure nodes where the sound waves build up in just the right ways. Because the circulating tumor cells, the CTCs, have a different size and compressibility from other cells, like they're differently elastic compared to the other cells in your blood, Mm -hmm. the channel in the chip splits off in just the right way that those pressure nodes, those peaks and valleys, push the CTCs into a separate channel from the other cells. Okay, so it's like a sorting thing. It's totally like a sorting thing. You can imagine this like assembly line going down where things are sorted by size. I'm imagining uh, gold plant panning. For cancerous cells. Yeah, it's a lot like that. Um, Except using sound, where the sound waves push the CTCs down one path and all the other stuff that we don't care about at this point down the other path. Right. Um, So the researchers used computer modeling and simulations to figure out the most efficient way to build this chip. Initially, it was just way too slow. Even their first prototype took actually like a really long time. It took 100 hours to process a 5 milliliter sample of blood. Ooh, yeah, that's not really practical. Yeah, that's that's not practical at all. Um, no. They managed to speed that up by 20 times, so they got it down to five hours to process oh, the five minutes. Not bad at all. Sample. Yeah. Yeah, it's not bad at all, but unfortunately, it's still a bit too slow for clinical use right now. Um, really? Okay. That's fine for doing one sample, but when a lab is needing to process a lot of samples at once, that becomes really time-consuming. Yeah. Um, so it's a bit too slow to use in clinics right now, but it's mm-hmm. already really accurate. Um, it reflects the results really? of industry te- standard tests very, very accurately. It, it reflects the results of the biopsy tests. Yeah, exactly. So we can get the wow. same results about um, the presence of cancer in a tumor from testing blood and looking for these CTCs as we can from a biopsy. That's amazing. Yeah, totally. So yeah. this could be really useful at the moment while we still try and speed up the process a bit for learning more about metastasis and the spread of tumor cells. Right. It can eventually probably be a diagnosis tool. Um, So we can definitely look forward to a future where you can go into a clinic and be tested for cancer with a simple blood test. Right. Um, We're a ways away yet, though. So it can detect the CTCs, but can it tell the difference between the cancerous ones and the benign ones? Yes. Once we actually have the CTCs isolated, it's exactly the same as a biopsy. We can look at those cells and go, okay, these are cancer cells or these are not. Ah, so the CTCs are actually physically different from a cancerous versus a benign tumor. Exactly. I mean, that's the premise behind a biopsy, right? You're looking at the cells to determine mm-hmm. whether or not these tumor cells are cancerous or benign. Right. Gotcha. Um, the problem in the past has just been, how the heck do we isolate these needles in the haystack of your bloodstream? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I really hope that we manage to get the processing time down on this because it, not only would it be so much easier on patients to just be able to get a blood test, but it would Absolutely. also take a huge load off the medical system. For sure. I think, I, yeah, I think, I think this is pretty awesome. And, I, I, you know, hopefully it'll be the way of the future. 
That's it for this week. We've got links to all the studies we discussed and more in this episode's show notes. You can find those at doubleblindscience.com. Hopefully you've enjoyed our adventure into this week's science news. Check back next week for two new and exciting stories. Is there a sciencey headline that you're wondering about? A story you'd like us to cover? Well, let us know. We really want to hear from you. Give us an email at stories at doubleblindscience.com or get in touch with us on Twitter. Uh, we've got an account at doubleblindsci, doubleblindsci. See you next week. really hard to explain how to contact somebody on Twitter without using the word at two times in a row. Oh, you're right. <laughs> right? Contact us on Twitter at at double blind SCI. That's yeah. <laughs> just that was a flaw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a they should have really have thought ahead. <laughs> I never thought about that. Yeah, right. <laughs>